0: Thank you for tuning in to First Lady and Friends. I uh, wanted to do a real quick shout out for our Show Up for Service initiative. Uh, please remember to go to showuputah.org for more information and to do the 123 Challenge. Today on the podcast, we had an incredible conversation with Pat Jones of w- the Women's Leadership Institute. Uh, she is an, a, an incredible leader in the state, and I can't wait to have you join in the conversation. Let's go. Welcome back to a new season of First Lady and Friends. This is very exciting. Um, we we took a little break uh, Christmas time, and and we've we've been off for a few weeks, but we are thrilled to have with us today the one and only Pat Jones. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Abby.
1: There actually are many of us I'm finding out because I'm
0: getting mail from a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the one we know and love, um, Pat, it's just, it, it's, you are someone that I think many of us look up to, including myself and my husband. And, um, we've just become dear friends in the last several years. And so we're, we're just thrilled to, to have you here. But, um, there's a lot of people who know you and know who you are and know a little bit about you, but I would love to kind of get go way back and talk about your childhood, where you where you grew up, um, a little bit about your family and your parents, and and maybe a little bit about your education journey.
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, I was a shy child. My mother said I um, always said I was uh, quiet and the peacemaker, which I think I've changed a little bit since then. So I don't know <laughs> if that was truly me or if she was just pigeonholing me but I was the fourth of five children. Uh, my dad was a um, worked uh, as a railroad engineer and my mother was a career woman and uh, she I think pretty well ran industrial supply at that time. My mother's still living she'll be a hundred in August. Oh that's amazing and uh, so uh, you know I think I that experience uh, having her, you know, go to work in the morning and, and, and come back, uh, I think made all of us very independent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she's always wondered, was that the right thing to do? And, you know, the, the guilt thing that a lot of moms go through, which I've been through too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, of course, I think it does help. I think it's the quality of time that they spend with you, not necessarily the quantity. There were some things that, that we had to give up, but she was a great, just a great mom. And my dad was too. They were very loving. So I have two older brothers, and an older sister, and a younger brother. The, one lives here, but they all live in other states, which is kind of the way things go. But I was very much a tomboy growing up. Um, I grew up in Holiday, but um, I loved to play baseball. And in those days, in fact, this is a memory I have um, third grade. You know how they would divide up, the boys would divide up in the class and they would pick someone to be on their team to go out to play recess and um, they would always pick me. I'd be the only girl that they would pick because I was a fast runner <laughs> and I was you know, just delighted to be part of it. And then after school, uh, they would go to the Little League ballpark and I just remember this so well. Is they would play baseball and I would have my hands clutched through those chain link fence at watching these very boys that I played with, you know, during the day and not even thinking that, you know, that I should be out there with them. It just wasn't part of it. That was in, you know, the late 50s. So, uh, way before Title IX. Yep. And so I think because of that experience, and there were more than that. I was so happy when my daughters—I have two daughters—could uh, play high school basketball, and it just meant so much more to me because they had opportunities that I didn't have. They really didn't have much for girls, yeah. you know, in in my day. Yeah. So I, I think that was kind of the early shades of you know really caring about women having more opportunities, and and uh, there was a drive inside me and
0: yeah, you know. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, um, I, I was blessed to be able to play high school sports and I, Mm -hmm. I, I I really love that. But I I remember my, my mom and my, you know, those that came before me too, as well saying, we just didn't have those opportunities. I think it's beautiful that you saw that and are now, you know, making sure that opportunities for those coming behind you are, are there, which is, which is really cool that you've made that your kind of your mission. Yes it was and and the other memory I have
1: just now was in high school you know I went to Olympus High School our rival was Skyline high school and we wanted to have a girls football team and because we wanted to play Skyline and so I I remember a friend of mine, Sherry, and I went in to see the principal and said we would like to start a girls football team and we want to play Skyline and his words were, well you can. You can have a football game if you want. You won't have coaches. You won't have equipment. You know, if you want to just choose when the boys are not out there, if you want to go and have a game, that's totally up to you. So, we did. We had a a tackle football game. We had a broken clavicle, and a, I mean, a couple of broken bones with the <laughs> women. But so I think I had this kind of um, this kind of sense of needing equality from a much younger age than now. And so I think that's one reason the work that I do now is so incredibly important to me. And I think it's incredibly important to a lot of
0: people. Absolutely. I have a, you know, I'm thinking about my high school experience too. And I, I, I loved football. My dad played at Weber State a little bit and my, my grandpa, like that's, that's all we did. We, we. Watched football. We played football. We, you know, out in the field when I'm growing up, like when they would cut the alfalfa, that's when we'd go out and we'd, we'd play football in the field. And, and my dad wanted a football team. And so he wanted 11 kids. So he got uh, 10 kids and eight girls. So there you go. (laughs) So we were all uh, athletic because that's what we grew up doing. We, we just thought that was, that was part of what we did. And I remember I remember playing basketball in high school and, and my friend, I talked to her about that I think women should have an NBA league. And this is way before the WNBA. And I remember my friend making a little logo of women's, it was a WNBA. That's what we did. So, uh, yeah, I sports think sports are really a great
1: entree into business. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a paper on this in when I was at the university and. You know, I interviewed all of these women who were really active in sports and found that that was really important to them being accepted. And I remember one woman telling me she, she had just moved here and worked for a large company. And she says, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking in here, but she said, uh, once I did. She said, "My on my first day, I became the head of the office pool when we were, uh, when we were betting on the Super Bowl, and I was immediately accepted. And from that time forward, it was like you know clear sailing for her. She was accepted, and so I, I do feel that if you know women and men, um, that you know if we can learn that, and the other thing that we do in our Women's Leadership Institute is we have a golf." Clinic and tournament because golf is the language of business, and recognizing that, helping women understand the importance of that in elevating women is another aspect of that.
0: Yeah, because that's part that you you can feel a little left out, and and frankly, <laughs> the reason I started playing golf was because my husband would say I, I'm going to go play golf with my with my law school buddies, and at the time I had little little we have babies we had little ones and i said the heck you are i'm coming with you <laughs> so
1: i love said, that, you're Abby. not gonna
0: leave me home with kids while you go play and yeah. so i i started playing golf and spencer and i from the time we both started playing golf we we've always done it together and and it's been kind of one of those things and so i love that you're you're encouraging women to be part of that because i think I mean, as a as a mother, I felt that way and as a, as a wife. But I think I can see in business where, OK, the, it, it, it's the, you know, the boys club and they're going out to do these business and they're talking about these things and they're making those relationships. They're developing those relationships on the golf course. And if you're not a part of that, you're not a part of that. Exactly. And, and so I think that's important.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I encourage men to at least invite women. So it's usually not intentional women are not intentionally left out it's just that um, we don't think about it and and oftentimes men either assume that you know she has to go home after after work and, and you know take care of things but that's changing yeah um, so you know i'm i'm proud to say that last year we were selected as the exclusive charity partner of the LPGA Symmetra Tour no kidding. and so we have uh, that relationship for three more years or two more years now and so I was able to um, take part in a pro-am last April. And I'm a terrible
0: golfer. I mean, I, it just... Well, truth that, truth that be that told, economy. I think most people are. I mean, <laughs> golf is a, is an extremely frustrating sport. That's what I'm learning. Right. If you, you know, so you played sports. I mean, so if if I had played as much basketball as I have spent time playing golf i would be an incredible basketball player right now well you (laughs) probably are (laughs) but the but i i just think that golf is frustrating but i think everybody that's what women have to understand is that you go and we've played on these tournaments and men are equally terrible they are (laughs) i have learned that too (laughs) i've learned that too yeah absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your education. So you, you went to Olympus and then what?
1: I uh, graduated from the University of Utah, but I went a little bit later because, you know, my husband, Dan, and and I started a business in 1980. Uh, he was a professor at Utah State and uh, we moved down in 1980 and he was going to go be a consultant with a couple of other people in research. And I had worked a little bit in that business and I Encouraged him that we should start our own company, and so we did. And that was in 1980, and it grew. There were just the two of us at the beginning, and it grew and kept growing. And so uh, he and I worked together for, um, gosh, about 40 years, and wow. uh, and so that was 80 to. We sold it in 2010, so I guess that's 30 years. Um, but I stayed on for five more years at the Cicero Group and with an employment contract. So I was in the research business for a lot of years. I, I focused more on the qualitative research. So I traveled all over uh, conducting focus groups and one-on-one interviews, but I did some quantitative too and met with companies. And honestly, I have researched everything from ice cream why women buy ice cream certain kinds to um, automobile tires to big heavy equipment um, manufacturing just about every topic you can think of so I know a little bit about a lot of different things (laughs) which makes me kind of dangerous Um, so you know at the same time and so I graduated from the University of Utah but a little bit later I finished I mean I would take classes along the way but I I finished a little bit later, which I think helped me Mm. because I had uh, started a business and um, been a principal at a business. I was president of Dan Jones and Associates for many years. We had great people around us that helped us succeed. And it was um, really a great experience. I loved that uh, profession.
0: Mm. So then were you, did you already have children when you were going to school? Yes, and, I did. And so you were working, you're yes. going to school, you have children, you're parenting, you're yes. doing the whole thing. Yes, so what I was, was working full
1: time. Well, and I did an internship here at KSL in the middle of the winter when I had young children, wow. which was which was interesting. But I really did enjoy the school, I think more so than if I had finished earlier so uh and i think people looked to me i was i was always dressed kind of more professionally than they were which made me feel a little embarrassed but i had to go right to work after and uh so i think they looked at me a little differently but it was actually a really good thing for me um so i i think it doesn't matter when you go it's that you go yeah
0: yeah absolutely and and Education means many different things. It sure does. And um, your, your education is in your entrepreneurship had to be, you know, invaluable to what, to what you're doing. So I want to continue this conversation when we come right back.
1: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.
0: We're back here with Pat Jones and um, you were talking about uh, starting a business with your husband. First of all, um, I know there's a lot of couples that can't, don't think that they could work together all those years. <laughs> so how was that? Uh, you and your husband, I mean, so basically you were the impetus for it, for it starting this company. So it probably should have your name on it.
1: Dan Dan, ha- <laughs> Dan had the experience in the name so because he had been a media um, consultant political consultant for a while, but as far as the marker research part um, that 's really where we got most of our work was was not political it okay. was market research it was like eighty percent um, and so and that was very interesting but Dan did more the political part, and I did more the the marketing part okay, and so I mean, just as an example, I talked about ice cream for a minute, but i 'll never forget this in, in focus groups well, they had done some some surveys to find out what kind of um, kind of ice cream moms would buy. And they would buy these big tubs of ice cream, right? You yeah. probably have done that. Yeah. Most moms have. And, um, you know, put that in. So that they wanted to explore that a little bit. So they did some focus groups of that. And um, I asked, you know, some certain questions. And there's certain ways to get the real answer, which in this case did. But what I found is that moms, yes, they buy those big tubs of ice cream. But guess what else they buy? really expensive Ben and Jerry's little ones and hide them under the rest of the frozen goods. And then when the kids are in bed, they and and you know what was weird when they started talking about this because you have to probe and really get to the real answer. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I do that. (laughs) And like everybody else and all the other women that were there, it's like, oh, you do that too? I thought I was the only one. Um, But that's the beauty of qualitative research. If you do it right, you really find out the real answers about why people do it. So I really loved that. Um, And I, like I said, I went all over the country uh, quite a bit, you know, and and conducted research to find out what are the messages people need to hear. Um, We did a lot of um, public service things like how to get people to stop smoking Um, You know, those sorts of things. We did a lot of research. One of the things I was talking to someone today from UTA, and I said, yeah, I I helped name tracks in our focus groups. They had different names, and that was the one that prevailed. And, you know, things like this that you still see out there when you're driving down freeways and things. You kind of see, oh, yeah, I remember that. Or, you know, so anyway, that was a great career, and I love that. And then uh, while I was in that career – uh, I was encouraged to run for political office in uh, 1999, so I, I never thought I'd run for office. And this is usually how women do decide to run: is they are tapped on the shoulder. And I think that's changing, by the way, which is great. But I was uh, really encouraged to run my first time, and I thought I, you know, I had worked with all of the just about all of the governors before that. And governors senators u.s senators congress, congress congressmen and did their focus groups for them you know um and so i always enjoyed that and i liked that side of the of the mirror a little better so when i was encouraged to run uh, it was actually by jan graham who was our then attorney general that uh sent me uh, some information that i thought would be You know, I kind of wanted a little better representation than I had. I had no idea. I wasn't really paying attention like I should. And she called me every day for two weeks and said, you've got to run, you've got to run. So finally I just said yes, um, just to get her off my back. Um, But I have to say that was the best decision. One of the very best decisions of my life is to run for political office. Because as you think about, not just not winning necessarily, although that helps and everybody likes to win, but running for office requires you to hone skills that you probably wouldn't hone. Number one, you have to learn to speak in public, which a lot of people are frightened to do, including myself. Uh, number two, writing. You have to know how to write, you have to be able to communicate in written language. Um, problem solving. Think about that in politics. Critical thinking finding solutions to things. Um, Persuasion. You think about, and I could go on and on, but you think about the skills that are required and are honed and are sharpened when you're not just winning, but running for office, really help you at the workplace. They help you at home. They help you in relationships. And uh, this gets lost on a lot of people. They see the uh, ugliness or the You know, especially women. A lot of women just are not interested in that. But we need women to be at the table. If we really want to have a more balanced approach to policies and how we spend money, we need to have more women participating. Um, And so this is one reason why the Women's Leadership Institute, when I first was asked to run the Women's Leadership Institute, which was seven years ago, we're starting our eighth year now, um... Our mission that was given to me by some of our key business leaders was to elevate the stature of women's leadership in business and in politics and, and, and realizing that we have to have that influence of people that spend a lot of time in doctor's offices, that spend a lot of time in school settings. Um, and I just noticed, especially when I was in the Senate, I, w- I served in the House for six years in the Senate for eight years. And I noticed, especially in the Senate, oftentimes I was the only woman on a committee. Mm-hmm. And they would discuss things that I knew quite a bit about, and they didn't. Can I just say that? Yeah. Um, and just the lack of, of of another perspective. And sometimes when you're the only woman, uh, I see this in business now, it's so important to have more than one. You need at least 30% women in a committee and so forth. They, uh, you need that influence, and women are more able to share their experiences when there are more of us would you yeah. s- yes say no that's that's, true?
0: True? that's absolutely true and and i think that all the data bears that out um i think uh what w- i think better decision making mm-hmm. happens um and i love that you were talking about these these skills that it takes that you learn when you run and and when you're when you're serving in these leadership leadership positions because. They're actually the skills that we've been talking about with our um, emotional intelligence skills that we that we're trying to um, to to make sure that our children have an education, which I think is amazing. You know, uh, the, there's the
1: Zenger Folkman
0: Group out of Orem
1: that are well known internationally as leadership consultants, and they did an amazing study of 60,000 360s. So it's a huge sample. And they measured 15 competencies. Mm-hmm. And Jack Zanger was on my board for a while and he's just an awesome person. But he, he let me share this. Um, women outperformed men on 12 of the 15 and tied men on two of them. And so when you're looking at skills that are brought to the table in the workplace, it wasn't by a large margin, but nevertheless, women are really good for, it's really good at sales really good why i learned this in my research career that people tend to trust women more if you're selling an automobile why don't we have more female sales women that sell us automobiles they do really well by the way when when you have them you think about those very male dominated kind of professions uh, what you know how how do we get more women in there if you want your numbers to grow and your ROI to improve and your ability to attract and retain talent to improve
0: and you want your employees to be happier you'll hire more women that's incredible and the, and that's an incredible study because again we're, we're 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 fighting this sort of weird political moment well we're fighting about everything now which is really sad You're right but um, the the important skills that that we need to teach especially young girls early mm-hmm. have to be have to be those critical thinking skills have to be those you know ma- self-management skills and these in these things that that are going to make their you know their employers and the companies that they work for exponentially better.
1: <laughs> yep. This is why I love what I'm doing now. And I I really thought I was retiring in uh, 7 years ago. <laughs> Um, I was 65 at the time. I was leaving the Senate. We'd sold our company and I really thought I was um, retiring. And when I was asked to run the Women's Leadership Institute, which uh, just completely matched um, what my interests and passions were. And I would have to say this has been one of the most um, rewarding experiences that I've had.
0: Let's, let's talk a little bit more. Let's dive into the Women's Leadership Institute. It's, um, my husband, Spencer, has been on your board for a while now because, um, he knew how important it was and is. Um, uh, Kirsten Rapley's been on your board as well. So we're, we're connected in and, and all in on the Women's Leadership Institute. But let's, let's start by saying, you know, let's talk about where it began. Um, what was the impetus behind, you know, starting this? And, and then you were asked to be CEO. And then um, let's talk about a little bit about the projects that you're working on right now. Okay. Thank you, Abby. Thanks for this opportunity, by the way. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're thrilled to have you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, seven
1: years ago, um, uh, like I said, I was turning 65 and I, you know, the other chapters of my life seem to be, you know, finishing, which is kind of a natural progression, um, I was asked to go visit with Scott Anderson. Everybody knows Scott Anderson of Zions Bank, president and CEO, who's a true visionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had done quite a bit of research for for Zions Bank, and he, I don't know, fairly or unfairly, credits me with some of the successes that they've had because of the qualitative research. But that's he, neither here nor there. But he he basically said, um, um, we are struggling to attract and retain people here from out of state because of the perceptions that they have about Utah and women here. It's not a, a very friendly state for women. And so trying to attract these great tech companies and we're building our economy and all these wonderful things are happening is really being uh, challenged by this perception that a lot of people have. Some of it, I think, valid and some invalid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they... Um, He said, we would like more women in senior level, more women on boards. We'd like to look at the gender wage gap and we want more women in politics. And he says, we'll fund you for two years. So go figure it out. And it took about 10 minutes. (laughs) And then I had my next career. Wow. You know, and and so um, how many people do that? I don't know, but... Uh, I'm surrounded by talented people. I started by understanding the importance of men Mm -hmm. in accomplishing this. And having been a business person for so many years, uh, I've always been in a man's world. Of course, that's not hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But in politics, think about this. So uh, half of my board is men and has been and understanding that men are, are considered allies and advocates of women. And this is and the other thing I love to do because I do have a lot of public speaking to large groups and some mm-hmm. small groups, and to help men understand that they are not blamed or shamed, mm. that they are part of the solution, um, and that the only solution will be when we all partner together and tackle this because and it is happening. It has yeah. just been amazing. So men, love the message because we have fun with it. We talk about the challenges that men face working with women and vice versa. We talk about some of the funny things that men and women see differently, like picking shampoo where women picks shampoo that's smells good, that looks good, brand, blah, blah. And man, to a man, it says shampoo on the bottle, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, to have fun like that, we all know those are differences that exist, but why? I like to talk about because I I work with the gender intelligence group. I like to talk about why those differences exist and how we can value that kind of complementary difference that we see. And so it's a very upbeat, it's a very I think educational kind of message that we have and it's in, it's there's a lot of inclusion to it. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: uh, I think we, we're kind of hit on some things that are really working well. That's amazing. Um, I want to continue this conversation. You have three um, sort of focus areas that you're working on with WLI. Let's let's get into those when we come right back. We're back here with Pat Jones. We're talking about the Women's Leadership Institute that she is the CEO of, and uh, there are amazing things happening um with Women's Leadership Institute and so there, there i think are three kind of big initiatives that you're you're working on right now um let's talk about them i think there're elevate her challenge which i know uh, Spencer's been a part of um, a political development series and then you were just talking to us about the career development series so let's kind of break those down and talk about what what you're doing sure there.
1: yes the elevate her challenge uh, was uh, kind of started right when I was asked to run the Women's Leadership Institute. And, you know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to turn. This was a very big order for us to turn this around, the ship around. So I did some research and found out that Massachusetts had started what they called getting to more. It was a corporate challenge at that time. And Governor Deval Patrick had started it. And then his uh, the person that followed him, a uh, Republican Baker, kept going, but they, I don't know where that is right now, but they had done a lot of research on, uh, you know, getting women elevated into corporations and companies, understanding the value. So they'd done quite a bit and they shared everything with me. And I, I went back to Boston and spent some time there and it, it kind of inspired me to have a product, if you will. And I came back and it wasn't exactly our mission. Uh, so I just, you know, tweak some things. And then one night I had a dream um, about what to name it. I named it the Elevate Her Challenge. And um, we've since trademarked that. And but we share it with everybody. We're, you know, but the Elevate Her Challenge is a, a corporate challenge that is not prescriptive. It doesn't cost companies to, uh, to take it really. But what it has proven to be is a really important template for companies to follow. And there are six parts of it. Those parts are elevating women to senior level. You can see these mirror our mission when I was first asked to run this, to look at the retention rate internally in companies, to provide mentorship and sponsorship opportunities for women in companies, to put more women on boards, corporate boards, but also in, you know, encourage them to participate in some of our community boards too. That's good training Uh, to look at the wage gap in Utah, which we know we have a large wage gap. And then finally, to recruit and to support women who want to run for political office. And that's where a lot of companies go, why is that part of it? Uh, And then I give them the same speech I just gave you. It's because it's the best leadership development that anybody can be put through is to run for political office. So uh, that's the Elevate Her Challenge. It has been Hit Out of the ballpark, I have to say, because companies, whether they're large or small, are accepting this challenge. And uh, because it's not prescriptive, we don't ask for numbers, but it's all done internally. And then the Women's Leadership Institute helps them achieve wherever their areas
0: are. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: excuse me. So um, when that is happening, it's uh, it helps them solidify kind of trust within their organizations. So we have CEOs that are bringing in small groups within their companies and saying to them, we have taken this elevator challenge. Where are we on each one of these? Where should we head? And how will we measure this internally? And it's starting up brand new conversations like how do we communicate between men and women? How do we communicate, um, you know, different generations within our organization? All of these, a lot of issues are just communication issues. So it opens that up entirely. So Easy. we now have, uh, we're hitting almost 300 organizations throughout the state of Utah that have accepted the Elevate Her Challenge. And these are companies that are sending their great women in the pipeline who are mid to senior level who are interested in developmental leadership. Okay. And uh, we had our first one for the year, which is our fourth career development series that will start today. Uh, and it will go for eight months. And it's, we keep the costs way down, but we have absolutely stunning quality of, of presenters, okay. not just in the topics, but also those that are presenting. The topics come from our board. Okay. A lot of these, these are business leaders who say, you know, here's some different, different um, leadership needs that we have that we're seeing that uh, we need to develop more. Both men and women, but of course, we're dealing with mostly with women. Okay. So um, it has been just beyond my wildest dreams. We also have a political development series, which I started right out of the gate because I was just coming out of the Senate. I knew a lot of the players. I knew they would could come and you know speak. And really, the format of this has worked so well because we uh, we meet once a month for both of these programs from ten thirty to two. And I knew from focus groups that that's the sweet time for women to be able to attend things like this. You know, not very often, but once a month, they can come for half an hour to just network. And then they get some really meaty, um, you know, instruction. And it's, you know, it's a cohort. So it's the same women that meet each other, get to know each other. And this is what's beautiful about our career development series going on right now is because Instructure has been so generous with their bridge program and so forth um, that these women still can connect. And we, um, we do have a videographer there. And so they can go back, review what they've learned, and then they take it back to their teams and teach their teams And what does that do? That helps cement what they've learned, but it also helps them be seen as a leader if they're teaching their teams, right? So it's all good. And it's all over the state. It's not just Wasatch Front. We're talking everywhere in the state of Utah has access to this.
0: It's incredible. And I've been noticing um, that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had kind of a record number of women elected as mayors. This year, yes, Is, isn't that correct? And yes. several of them came through your uh, the the program. Yes, right,
1: they did. And uh, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the women that are stepping up because of the very things we talked about earlier. We need women's influence, and of course, men's. We have great men in our state. I never want to be seen as a male basher. I'm, you know, I believe in men and women working together and understanding our complementary differences and the value of all kinds of diversity not just gender diversity but all kinds of diversity and not even just ethnic diversity but you're talking different ages different religions different um socioeconomic backgrounds all of the research has shown that when you have more diversity you have better outcomes you have better products you have better understanding you have more peace
0: in in the world yeah absolutely so let's, what do you think would would be your goal um, maybe to see what what would, in, in your mind, what, what does um, Women's Leadership Institute look like in 10 years? You know what? I have thought about that
1: and it's like, I don't want to even look at that <laughs> because I don't want to limit ourselves. Okay. Because I have been blown away by the, um, not just, hey, we're just accepting this. But the absolute all-inness of this, by not just my board, but you know, there's the Alex Adema at DPS skis. Hey, Pat, I've spent ten times he's asked me to come and speak to women and the Outdoor Retailer Association. Yesterday, I presented to the Ski Utah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the Garf Automotive, all the general managers for Garf Automotives. I mean, this, these are the opportunities I'm getting is to help. Men and women understand where we can go from here, how it can help all of us. It's not just business, but it's families. It's understanding why men and women, uh, you know, how we can work better together and
0: our our inherent differences. Yeah, and you know, and leveraging those. Yeah. Do you see that sort of translating into their personal lives as well? I mean, I'm sure if you teach a man at work how to communicate with a woman at work, uh, I'm sure at home it it
1: translates. It absolutely does. But you know, one of the interesting things we have found in in some of the research is that when when do you think men start thinking about this issue, about women's leadership? It's when they have daughters. Mm. And a lot of research is showing that. And You know, men want their daughters to have the same opportunities as they have, that that their sons have. And it kind of goes full circle back to my um, lack of ability and opportunity to play on, to play baseball when I loved it so much. Mm. You know, and think about how much better our world would be if
0: we included the other half of our population. Yeah. Do you see... I mean, what do you see as barriers? I, I know we've talked about this a little bit on on this podcast before, but is it a cultural thing in Utah that you see some barriers? Is it universal and, and, and Utah just gets sort of a, a weird bad rap? What do, what do you see? There's clearly
1: some nuances here, but I do see it changing. And I see it from the change coming from the younger um, the younger men, frankly, it's not just women, it's younger men. Uh, and when I say younger, everybody's younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but it's dads that also want to go see their kids play soccer. Mm. It's not just the moms that want to take their kids to soccer. The dads want to go to the ballet recital, too. They want to go talk to the teachers. They just have not had the flexibility that women have also not had. So this is the change I'm seeing. I think it's really positive. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, my sons-in-law are help with the kids. They cook. They it's like, you know, I didn't have that. Um, and so I really do see this revolution. I wish I were younger. I, I mean, I'm admitting something new here, but because I love our younger generations I love how inclusive they are, how nonjudgmental they are, that they don't value brands like they did when I was growing up. They want meaning in their life. They want time in their life to be with their families. I admire this. Yeah, I think we're in for a great future.
0: I agree. I agree. I. It was interesting. I've we're kind of going through this cause we have a 15 year old daughter <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so we're, we're having conversations and we're, we're talking about what, what her future looks like and what, what she wants and, and you know, her, her passions and, and what she's excited about. And, uh, you know, we're having a conversation about what, what she wants to do, you know, in school, what she wants to study. And she said something and I'm always trying to, to give her more options. And when, she said something about marriage or something, and I said, "Honey, uh, marriage is not a career path. So let's let's think about what else you want." <laughs> so I don't know what do you, what would your advice be? I I'm new to this, and I don't know what to tell a 15 year old girl. what What would you say? You know, what's your best advice for for a young girl? It doesn't have
1: to be either or. It can be both, but there are seasons in life when it's time to be, spend more of your time with your young children, maybe if that's your choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you don't have to choose either or. I think it's important for women to uh, understand that um, when they do retire some point in their life and get older, that they have to plan for their retirement and the social security takes your top 30 years average of working. So in a way, women, unless you have other income and mm-hmm. if your husband passes away, like mine did a few years ago, you get half of their social security. So you're theoretically, if you're not planning ahead and you're staying at home, uh, which is okay for a lot of people, but just understand that your income automatically will be cut in half. Hmm. Uh, so, and I think a lot of women are unaware of how dangerous that can be. One of the fastest growing populations in poverty is older women. Really? And so this is a topic that we should be talking about and preparing
0: women when they're young. For- that's fascinating. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's something I had not thought of myself. Um, I guess I should start earning money. <laughs> <Yeah. now. laughs> You're doing just fine. I, know, I, know. I, say, I think am getting. I think uh, one dollar a year. That's my, that's my salary. So I say you're underpaid, Abby. I think uh, it's all good. Um, no, that's that's amazing. And and this has been a really fun conversation. Um, I do want to end you. When I I did read that you. Um, I, I know you love sports, and and we talked a little bit about the the football game, the the Rose Bowl, and we were both there. <laughs> Um, we, you and I share the a passion for, for watching football and, and, and sports. What sports are you playing now? Oh, okay. So I
1: moved to St. George in May, and I love biking. I have two electric bikes and three regular bikes. They're cruisers, so they're not like too – don't be too overwhelmed. <laughs> um, but I love pickleball. Pickleball mm. is social – is I mean I can walk out my door and just walk under the street and play pickleball with anybody that shows up. It's all my grandchildren love to play. It's such a fun quick sport that you can easy to learn.
0: Yeah, and and it's like fast. you said cross generations. Oh, we've yes. we've been playing a, yeah. a little bit. I haven't done a ton, but I have noticed um with a little bit of chagrin I think in in St. George that most of the tennis courts have now been converted to uh, pickleball, which is great because I'm, I'm starting to pick up pickle, but my boys all played tennis. And so they were really they were a, a little irked about, yeah, <laughs> being, you know, being having, you know, pickleball replacing their tennis courts.
1: Still, always have tennis courts, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of seniors everywhere. I think pickleball is something that um, just about, like you said, every age can play. But uh, it's just fast. It's yeah. fast and it's very social. And, you know, you can walk in there alone and have immediate friends and they'll let you play in. I mean, it's just a really a great uh, way, to, I think, to get exercise, but also to meet people and yeah. just enjoy the outdoors.
0: And so you're, pl- you're still playing golf, though, right? Oh, I'm a terrible golfer.
1: No, I don't golf enough uh, to be anywhere near good. Um, so I do have golf clubs. OK,
0: <laughs> those are those are some of those lifetime sports that we yes. can continue to play. Yes. Golf just sucks all your money and you don't get better. So that's
1: <laughs> golf is actually I would like to play more golf. And I think when I retire, I will do that.
0: Yeah, go, I, I actually do enjoy it. And anytime I we go out and anytime I start keeping score, I start playing badly. So I've just done this thing where I just don't keep my score. I go out and play for fun, and I by the end of it, all I remember is my good shots, and, and we move on from there. There you go. Yeah,
1: selective memory is really good when you golf, isn't it? It is. Keep... It's
0: that one shot that keeps keeps you coming back. <laughs> That's
1: that, that very one shot. But I did learn that men, are, like you said, are not that great of golfers either so yeah. you just keep wanting to go back it's like this drug that you just kind of want to it's go back true. okay or even if you hit one shot yeah pretty well it's like oh i get it now yeah. and guess what you don't on the next hole well yeah
0: you play around and you're like i am awesome yeah, And then you play the next round and you're like, I've never played golf in my life. <laughs> this is I terrible. know. It, it's, it plays with your head. But again, <laughs> you have to
1: just lower your expectations and just have fun with
0: it. Yep. That's exactly right. So one more question, though. You said you love reading and you're, you're very well read. What are you reading now? Well, you would probably be surprised. Peril. I don't know that book. Okay. Okay. Go get it. I'm going to write it down. Okay. Okay. I've been reading, um, again, Jane Eyre. And it's one of my all-time favorites, and I don't usually do a ton of fiction, but um, I feel like Jane Eyre, I, again, I have a 15-year-old daughter who I just think it's so relevant right now. Jane Eyre, <laughs> yeah. knowing who you are, um, even though you know you can come from really tr- tough circumstances or, or circumstances around you may be really hard, uh, sh- she knew who she was. She she had a sense of of what she wanted, and she wasn't going to compromise, even though it was really really hard not to, mm-hmm. um, and and felt unloved and lonely for a long time because of that. So it's it's one of my most favorite books in the whole world, and everybody, everybody can get. relate to that yep. at some point in their life. So yeah. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Pat. This has been such an incredible experience for me. Um, you are such a a leader in the state and and have influenced so many women in and men in in such a powerful way so thank you for being an example for all of us and thank you for spending your time with us today and
1: tell your husband to come to our board meeting next time
0: i will (laughs) thank
1: you (laughs) just
0: kidding (laughs) if you're interested in getting involved in the women's leadership institute go to wliut.com thanks for being a friend